You are listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. For more information on RSN, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our student pastor, Gabe Pecoraro. Well, tonight we're gonna be in John chapter two, verses one through 12, and I'm gonna take it a little bit at a time, all right? So let's start with the first two verses, and it says this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So we're gonna learn five things from this passage tonight, and the first thing that we are gonna learn is that who we invite matters, So back in the day, back in ancient times, weddings were a massive ordeal. You think our weddings are a massive ordeal? You think just like in America, people getting married and they're paying thousands and thousands of dollars for a venue and crazy money for a dress and a ring and all that stuff? Weddings back in this day were way bigger deals than weddings today. Weddings typically would last an entire week. Yeah, an entire week. There would be tons and tons of people invited. They they were a huge deal. And the family that was putting on the wedding could either have lots of honor brought to their family or lots of honor taken away from their family, depending on how good the wedding and the party was. And we see that Jesus and his disciples were invited to this massive wedding feast, this massive wedding, and this massive wedding party. So the first thing that you need to recognize is that oftentimes as Christians, we walk through the schools and the hallways and people are always like, oh, they're a Christian. They don't wanna have any fun. They walk around and they just don't do anything and they don't like to laugh. They're just whatever, this and that and the other. Jesus was not a killjoy. Jesus was not somebody who you couldn't have fun around. Jesus was somebody who actually was invited into the party. So first off, recognize that. In the events of your life, invite Jesus in. And as a Christian, we as people of God should have the most fun. We should laugh the most. We should be able to have the most joy. Why? Because even in the midst of hard circumstances, there is a hope that is greater than all of those things. And so recognize as a Christian, you can have fun. As a Christian, you can laugh. But more importantly, who we invite matters we need to recognize that we need to invite Jesus into the events of our lives. So Jesus was physically invited to this wedding, this really big event in the bride and the groom's life. In our lives, we have big and small events every single day. We may have a math test. We may be sitting at the lunch table with a couple of friends. We may be driving down in the road in our car because now we have a driver's license and we just got a letter from Mr. Gabe to be able to drive after eight o'clock because we go to RSM. Or we may have some brothers and sisters that we are hanging out with. Or we may be doing this and that and the other and have a soccer game. Every single day, there are events in our life that we can invite Jesus into. And you need to recognize that no thing or no problem is too small for Jesus because he cares about you and he cares about the things going on in your life. Revelation 3.20 says this. It says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And this is Jesus talking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So what's Jesus talking about? 
And he says that if we invite him in, that he'll come in and eat with us. And remember how last week, and, and, or not last week, two weeks ago, and, and we've talked about this a couple of different times, that the Bible was not written in English, right? The Bible was written in Hebrew, the Bible was written in Greek, and just like in Spanish and French and other languages, there's some words that when you translate them into English, it's hard to get their exact meaning into our language. And when Jesus says, come in and eat, he's not saying, I'm gonna eat with you and we're gonna drive through McDonald's real quick and it's gonna take 10 minutes. No, Jesus is saying, come in and eat. I want to sit with you at your house. I want to eat with you. I'm not in a hurry. I'm not in a rush. This is the biggest meal of the day. This is the most important meal of the day. This is after the long day of work, we sit down, we eat, and we don't feel like leaving the table because the conversation is too good. Jesus is saying that he wants a deep relationship with us. He doesn't want something that is just surface level. And so when Jesus says, I am knocking at the door, open up, he's saying, I want a deep relationship with you not just in the big wedding feasts of your life, but also in the times that you're walking through the hallway and you don't feel like you're enough. Or in the times when you're hanging out with your siblings and you guys are about to do whatever and you're just, it's just normal day-to-day life. Jesus wants to be invited in. And as Christians, we need to recognize that who we invite matters because oftentimes we wanna get God's results but do it our way. And that's not the case. If you wanna see God's results in your life, you have to invite him in and do it his way. And so no problem is too small for Jesus, no problem is too big for Jesus, no decision is too small, he wants in. And so I dare you guys, just try it, invite him in. Start a deep relationship with him. And what does that look like? It looks like just having a regular conversation with him. One of the most challenging but the best times in my life was my freshman year when I was at Furman and I didn't have literally any friends. I had people that I would talk to uh, in the music building because I was a music major and I would talk to them when I was there. I was in the music building for probably 12 to 14 hours every single day, either practicing or rehearsing with bands or doing schoolwork. And then I had schoolwork to do. And in my freshman year, my roommate and I, we were just different people. We did different things. So we didn't talk much. I'd go to my room. I would sleep for three or four hours, and then I would wake up the next morning and start it all over again. And it was extremely difficult because I felt extremely alone. But I remember what I would do is as I was walking to and from different classes, I'd put my earbuds in so nobody would talk to me and I would just talk to God. And those people probably thought I was super weird because I I think I would talk out loud for a lot of it. And so this dude's just mumbling to himself, but let me tell you something. There's a friend that sticks closer to a brother and the creator of the universe wants to be invited into your life. And as I looked like a weirdo walking through the campus of Furman, going from class to class, I promise you there was peace in my heart and there was joy in my life. Not because it wasn't hard, but because my God is greater than any circumstance and he is a friend and he's a friend to me 
and he wants to be a friend to you. So invite him into your day-to-day life. The second thing that we need to see is that Jesus is God. Verses three through five say this, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So first things first, do not go home and call your mom woman. That's what you guys like. <laughs> Don't go home and call your mom woman because we're gonna, we're gonna break this down a little bit, but there is a difference culturally in the way that Jesus called his mom woman and if we were to go home and call our mom woman, all right? So again, this is one of those words that's kind of hard to translate to break down, but there was respect behind it. It would almost be like calling someone um, like dear lady or something like that. But even that sounds kind of rude. There wasn't disrespect. What Jesus was doing, what the way that he called his mom was not a term that was like super common for sons to call their mom, but it wasn't a term that if he called his mom that, Mary was gonna slap him upside the head, okay? So what do we need to see? There's a problem, and then Jesus tells his mom, woman, my time isn't coming, why do you involve me, this and that and the other, and then Mary says, do whatever he tells you, or do whatever it is that he tells you, right? And what Jesus seemed to say to Mary was, I won't do it, it's not time. But then he went on to do it. So what he really said was like, hey mom, we have a different relationship at this point. I need to consult my heavenly father. And what do we see in Jesus's life? Up until this point, we know that Jesus didn't have any ministry happening in his life that we know of, of a, of a public ministry. We know that he was in his home. And a lot of people think that his dad, Joseph, probably passed away. And Joseph was out of the picture at this point. And a lot of people believe that up until this point, Jesus was probably at home with his mother Mary and with his siblings taking care of the house. And at this point, he is separating, the relationship is changing, he is stepping into his public ministry, the three years of his life that he is going to live and he is gonna be Messiah, he's Savior, he's gonna die on our behalf, right? And the relationship is changing. And so at this point, he's like, Mom, remember at this point, I'm outside of the house and I've gotta do what my heavenly Father would have me do. This is what Jesus says later on in John chapter five. He says, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. In these past few weeks, we've been talking about this a ton. We've been talking about the Trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we've also been talking about that if you are looking for how God would react, how God would respond, how God would, would carry himself, Look no further than Jesus. And so in this moment, we are seeing even more so Jesus is God. If you are confused on if God actually loves people, go read the gospel and go see what Jesus does. If you are confused on, on how it is that God feels about this, go look at the life of Jesus because Jesus is God in the flesh. And so in this moment, we see again that Mary asks Jesus to do something. Jesus says, my time has not yet come. 
There's some sort of intermission and then he does the miracle. Because Jesus is God and Jesus and God are always gonna be on the same page. So Jesus is God and if you're looking for how he would react, how he would respond, how we would feel, look no further than Jesus. The next thing that we need to see is that there is a new beginning. Verses six through 10 says this, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial, ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What do we need to see here? A new beginning. If you look at miracles with water in them in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there's a miracle that we see in Exodus chapter seven. In Exodus chapter seven, Moses is hanging out with the Israelites and they are still in captivity under Pharaoh. Do you guys remember Moses and the Israelites and Pharaoh? Yeah, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. So that is the guy. And we see that in the midst of the Israelite people being led out of captivity, there are some signs, some miracles that happen that God does through Moses and through Aaron. There's miracles like a plague of frogs, a plague of locusts. And the second of those is that there is, a, there is the water being turned into blood, the plague of blood. And in this miracle, Aaron stretches his staff out over the Nile River and the water from the Nile River, which the people would use to drink the people would use for life turns into blood. Literally the entire Nile River. All the fish die, the Nile River stinks, and the people no longer have a water source from the Nile. And later on, eventually, Pharaoh gives in and he lets Moses and the people leave Egypt and then Moses and the people wander in the wilderness and they get the 10 commandments and then they make it into the promised land and they get the law, these 613 things that they were to do to be in this right living with God. But if you think about this miracle, something as precious and beautiful as human life goes through death and destruction because of sin because of what we do, because sin separates us from God. And so water is turned into blood. And then if you fast forward to the New Testament, we're gonna see a scripture in John chapter one. It says, for the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The miracle that we see with water in the New Testament is that water turns into wine. You see, Jesus brought joy. Jesus brought gladness. Jesus gave the people a spirit to be able to party because of what is to come, to celebrate because of what is to come, represented by this wine. 
because this is what we know. We know that the law in the Old Testament brought forth death. And we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so in this miracle, Jesus is starting his public ministry, but he's also reminding us that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the savior of the world. This is this new beginning brought forth through the life of Jesus. The fourth thing we need to see is that we need to trust in Jesus. So verses 11 and 12 say, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. So the, the part that I wanna focus on in this is, and his disciples believed in him, okay? Again, like what I told you a second ago, the Bible is, is being translated would actually mean believed on him. So the disciples believed on Jesus. There's a commentator by the name of Charles Spurgeon who lived a long time ago that says, they so believed that they seemed to submerge themselves in Jesus. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna demonstrate this, okay? Um, Jeffrey, can you come here, please? Jeffrey doesn't know what's about to happen, but this is, so the disciples believed on Jesus. Stay right there. So what happened was the disciples <laughs> believed to the point where they were able to put their full weight into Jesus. You can let me go. So here's the thing. If Jeffrey hadn't have caught me and I hit my back on the stairs, would I have gotten hurt? No, I wouldn't, I'm Iron Man. Um, I probably would have got hurt. But because I believed that Jeffrey would catch me, he didn't drop me, did he? And Jeffrey was strong enough to hold me, right? Yes, are you guys gonna participate, yes? Yes, Jeffrey, you're good. Everybody give it up for Jeffrey. So this is what I want you guys to recognize. When we see that the disciples believed on Jesus, it's meaning they were putting the full weight of their belief into Jesus. It means that with everything they had in that moment, they believed in Jesus because they saw him do something that was miraculous and incredible. And when we go through life, I dare you to put your full trust in Jesus. I dare you. Put all of it, every single bit of it, all the weight of your Oftentimes, we find ourselves in spots where we feel like we're crumbling. We don't know which way to turn. We feel like we fail at every turn. Give that to Jesus. Go to him. Believe to the point where you submerge yourself into Jesus. There's no plan B. Proverbs three says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. This is talking about trusting like a child would. If a child gets scared in the middle of the night in a thunderstorm and they run to their dad's arms, are they worried about their dad dropping them? No. Are they worried about accidentally slipping on the floor and busting their head? No. 
Are they worried about, uh, uh, I'm gonna hit the couch right here or my dad's gonna hit the couch when he catches me? No, they're worried about their dad catching them. They're worried about being close with their father. They're worried about the comfort that he would bring. And in our lives, in our day-to-day decisions, recognize that when you choose to trust Jesus, he's not gonna drop you. Jesus is the perfect keeper of your heart. So cast your cares and anxieties on him, for he cares for you. Trust in Jesus. And that needs to be a daily thing, just like inviting him into your life. And the last thing that we need to see is that each person teaches us. Each person in this story teaches us a little something. So Mary shows us to expect Jesus is gonna do big things, but don't tell Jesus how to do them. She says, hey, do whatever he tells you, and then she steps out. What do I mean by this? Oftentimes in our lives, we wanna see God's results, but we also want God to do it our way oh, I need this to happen in my life or I need, this to, I need this situation to be able to talk to this person about Jesus. And you, you may not even recognize that every single day you sit beside them in math class. You don't need there to be writing on the wall and thunder to strike the school and the lights to turn off and then you two be teleported to a room where you both feel comfortable enough to talk about your faith. God has already given you an opportunity every single day to talk to this person in math class about Jesus. There's a phrase that I will never forget and it says, God is oftentimes doing 10,000 things and we're lucky if we see three of them. Mary teaches us to expect Jesus to do big things, but don't tell him how to do them. At the end of the day, he's the creator of the universe and you're you, okay? Remember that. The servants, they show us to obey Jesus without question and to enjoy being a part of the plan. When Jesus asks them to fill the, water to the, or fill the, the uh, jars with water, they fill them up to the brim. They fill them up to the absolute tippy, tippy top and they're obedient in that. In our lives, if we feel that we're to do something, if the Holy Spirit convicts us to do something, if we are gonna be obedient, let's do it with all our heart. If you are serving in Little Builders or you are serving in our kids, you need to do that to the very best of your ability every single week. Come in and learn what you're supposed to do. If you feel like you need to talk to this person and you need to share with them a scripture passage, then you need to do it. If you need to cut the grass, if your parents ask you to do it, you need to do it with a smile on your face and you need to recognize that as you honor your father and your mother, you are also honoring God because you are honoring the authority that he put in your life. So when you serve, when you are obedient, be obedient to the brim, all the way to the top. The bridegroom shows us that Jesus loves to save the day. Like I told you, these weddings, they're a big deal back then, bigger than we could understand today because they're not the same. And if the bride and the groom, if if their families ran out of wine, there would be major disrespect, dishonor thrown on them, potentially legal action, believe it or not. And Jesus saved the day. He came in and saved the day. In our lives, while we were dead in sin, Jesus died for us. He loves to save the day. The master of the feast, he shows us that Jesus saves the best for last. 
It wasn't the, the cheap wine that came out at the end when people had already drank a lot of wine. It was the best wine. We wouldn't do it. It feels good to sin. It feels good to conceal the truth so that you can get some personal gain in the moment, right? It feels good to sin and to look at something on your phone in a way that you shouldn't, and then it feels good. But this is what you have to recognize. There are consequences that come on the back end of that. Those consequences can be mental. Those consequences can be physical. What the Bible also says that is, as we do things in our own way, we actually wage war against our own soul. And so the consequence of sin at the end of the day is death and separation. But as believers, praise be to God, because of what Jesus has done, we can recognize that at the end of the day, the best is yet to come. And then after our last breath as believers, when we open our eyes, we will be able to meet with Jesus face to face and every single day will be better than the last. So with Jesus, the best is always yet to come. And the last thing that we see is the disciples show us that this guy was for real. They'd been with him, they'd seen him, and this Jesus guy is legit. Again, I dare you to take a try at it. I dare you to put your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus. In Matthew 11, he says, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. A yoke is something that they would put on oxen as they were plowing the field and it was this heavy thing to keep them on this path. And in our lives, we carry heavy things. It might be the stress that we're feeling from school. It might be that there's a loved one who's sick in our life. It might be that we have a test coming up and we don't know what to do about it or we're in a situation and we don't know how to talk to somebody Jesus is saying, give those to me. As you guys go into small groups, we've got some specific questions about tonight. I wanna encourage you guys to share, to be honest, to be transparent. And I pray that you guys are challenged and convicted by tonight. We'll see y'all later. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at the renovation.church.